Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Scott McAllister, at ST McAllister on Twitter. Welcome back, everybody, to Page It to the Limit. Today, we're joined by Ted Neward, co-founder of Solidify US. Ted, welcome to the show. I understand you've had an eventful day. <laughs> Big elephants, man. They're flying. Information. Dentists give you the good stuff, man. You all right there, Ted? <laughs> little numb. I had to go into the dentist this morning to have them do some work on my teeth. That required a little Novocaine in the uh, corner of the mouth here. And, um, you know, yeah. So occasionally, but we should be fine. All right. All right. Well, uh, that's a that's a true professional to keep an appointment with me on a day that you had uh, some Novocaine pumped oh, into your mouth. Just so. wait. I have to go teach a class later tonight. So right about then, it should be starting to wear off, and you know whatever whatever pain is there will start manifesting itself. So students are going to come up to me and say, "Hey, Ted, about this CSS. What? What do you want? Should be fun. Should should be should be tons of fun." Those poor students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So fortunately, my TA is a trooper. If you weren't doing your pager duty thing, you would be uh, judging projects and you would meet her. But but Grishma is a uh, she's been a wonderful grader and and uh, she she's been very good answering students' questions as well. So if nothing else, I'll just fall back to her and let her take care of everything and just curl into a corner in the classroom and go to sleep or something which should be entertaining all of itself. Is there a camera in that classroom? Cause um, you know, I probably should have figured that out a long time ago. I don't yeah. think so. That would make for entertaining, entertaining content, Ted. I mean, aside from what you bring when you bring a laptop in, of course, everybody's got a cell phone. So that's true. That's true. We, you could be up on the internets this evening. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Could I go viral? i understand from you whippersnappers you know uh that that going viral is a good thing so us gen xers we don't quite know what that all means yet you know playing up my my gen x roots you know the audience can't see it but the gray in my beard here and all that it's it's a sign of wisdom ted that's what we say that the gray is a sign of wisdom uh for most people maybe but well, you know the old saying, right? That that uh, good decisions come from wisdom. You know where wisdom comes from? Bad decisions. Yep. 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 Well, if that's the case, I've got uh, a bucket full of wisdom, that's for sure. <laughs> you and me both, my friend. Like right. scheduling a dental appointment the same day you're doing a podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned before, I think this is the formula for a classic, classic content for a classic <laughs> episode. So, so thank you for joining us today. You bet. you bet. So tell us about Solidify, your role there, kind of what you do. I mean, co-founder is a really broad term. Yeah. Solidify, they're a DevOps consulting company out of Sweden. I should say Europe. They're, they've got a branch in Denmark as well. Uh, but it's a, it's a boutique consulting company and uh, about... Uh, three months ago, they reached out and said, 
we're interested in opening an office in the U.S. Are you interested? And I said, uh, yeah, let's have that conversation. And the more I've gotten to know them, the more it really has been very, very much a meeting of similar minds. The CEO, Magnus, in some cases, is finishing some of the sentences that I've, I've said, hey, I want to. And he's like, yeah, I want to do that, too. You know, very committed to the idea of doing training, very committed to the idea of trying to grow juniors into seniors and so forth. The founder or co-founder title is is really deliberate because at this stage, just getting started, there's a lot of stuff that that you need to be doing, right? In in any sort of, of startup kind of scenario, you know, the early players at the startup are all going to be doing lots of different things. So right now I'm working with uh, another colleague that I've worked with before to get like just some of the basic infrastructure in place and then do a little bit of hiring, do a little bit of business development, do a little bit of HR. Founders seemed really like the best term to use. And the nice thing is it is generic. And once we start growing the Solidify US office, it'll become more apparent based on who I hire and what the needs are, what role I need to step into, right? Or step out of, as the case may be. Uh, so if I, if I find a really strong biz dev person, you know, great. I'll let them do a bunch of business development and I'll focus on more doing some of the technical delivery management if I find a bunch of really solid consultants, I'll let them focus on the technical delivery and I'll do more of the biz dev. It's really going to be kind of based on, you know, opportunistic what comes and, you know, take what the market gives and go from there. So the vagueness of the title is deliberate. Nice. I like what you said there about how you and the other founder have a an understanding of growing people, of taking yeah. people from junior into senior, because that's kind of the the crux of the conversation that we're having today, right? Was we're, we're trying to help people grow by measuring their performance or managing their performance. Right. Talk about like what we, we tend to do on this show is, is we open the questioning with uh, a question of about myths that are real common on a certain topic. So Think about myths or common misconceptions about performance management, and what would you say that those are, and how would you debunk them? Oh, myths of performance management. In a lot of respects, I think one of the common myths, and I'm going to leave this to, you know, scope it down to engineering management, right? You know, if you're in the the sales division or marketing or so forth, it, you know, there's, there's likely to be some, some Venn diagram overlap. But my experience is really with engineering management. One of those myths, particularly around performance management, is that your job is to fire people when they don't behave well, right? And your job is to promote people when they behave well. And while both of those, in some respects, that's not a myth, you do have to do those things, so much more of the performance management is all the space in between, right? In many respects, the success of the people on your team is very much an equal reflection of the capability of the people on your team as it is your ability to nurture and grow them. I've certainly had both levels, right? Prior to Solidify, I was working at Rocket Mortgage. We hired a guy for the DevRel team who just didn't work out, was not a great fit, and we had to let him go. I had a conversation with the DevRel team leader to say, you know, some of this is on us, 
right? You and me, either we hired poorly or we didn't, uh, we didn't meet what that individual needed in order to be able to be successful at Rocket Mortgage. Uh, similarly, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot more of these examples. There's one person I'm thinking of in particular because she and I just talked the other day. Um, she was a marketing intern, right? Uh, Alyssa Witzleben. You may have met her, Scott. I can't remember. Name doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, Alyssa joined the DevRel team. She was a marketing intern at Rocket, and she joined the DevRel team knowing very little in the way of technology. And um, she found that she absolutely enjoyed DevRel and absolutely excelled at it, did very well with it, and is very excited and has seen a lot of growth in terms of becoming a developer advocate. And again, a lot of that credit goes to Alyssa, but a lot of it also goes to Woody, who was the DevRel team lead for creating an environment in which she could thrive, in which she could ask questions and not feel stupid or shamed or anything for doing so, but also for feeling encouraged. And when I left Rocket, she would, you know, almost literally the moment she heard, she emailed me privately and said, I want to keep our one-on-ones going, Mm -hmm. right? And there's an interesting book, if people are really kind of, uh, you know, curious as to this notion of, of, you know, some of the things you do as a leader to, you know, help people grow. It's a book called Super Bosses. I can't remember the author, but Super Bosses, it's one word. You know how in sports, particularly in uh, the NBA and the NFL, you know, Scott, you'd have to tell me if this happens in, in you know, soccer, football as well. But we talk about coaching trees right? Where one coach has a number of assistant coaches that will go on to success within the professional leagues. And those are kind of what we're talking about, right? As a engineering manager, some of the best things you can do are grow people to the point where they leave your organization and go off and do great things in other places because you help them become not just a great individual contributor, but also a great leader in their own right. And that I think is, is kind of the, it's not so much the myth of, you know, a lot of people think performance management, you know, your, the team reflects credit back to you. Yes. But the much bigger issue is, you know, how do people exit your team in some respects is almost as important or more important than how do they behave while they're on your team? Does that make sense? That does. And to answer your question. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the coaching tree, philosophy or way of progression absolutely happens in soccer. The The name that came to mind is the manager at Manchester City right now. His name's Pep Guardiola, and he's legendary. He's been in multiple European leagues, but he's his assistant coaches have also gone on yeah. to be great coaches at other teams. And so that's, that's yeah, that absolutely happens. Yeah. As you were explaining the the successes and, you know, there was, there was one, you know, person at, at rocket that you had to kind of let go. Do you think that it boils down to something like, like well-defined expectations or what else? That helps. As it turns out, I'm, I'm in the middle of working on a course for the folks over at educative, educative educative.io. If anybody's, you know, if, if video online training is not your boat, you you might want to check out the educative folks because they do pros training. Um, so it's more written articles, books, et cetera. And I'm working on one right now for them around performance management. And one of the things that the editor there was, was really kind of stressing is, look, a lot of times engineering management, you know, they, they want to focus around metrics. 
because we have so many metrics in engineering, right? We have code churn, we have mean time between failures, right? We have uh, cycle time and all these other metrics. And there's a couple of things to be clear, right? Expectations are not the same thing as metrics. Metrics can help you judge the, the level of an expectation, but you can't just focus on the metric because then you fall victim to Goodhart's law, which is to say, as soon as you start, you know, holding people to a particular metric, people will optimize to that metric, not the actual thing that you're concerned about, right? And we see this all the time. 20 years ago, was it? You know, whenever whenever the second Bush was in office and they instituted the no student left behind law, which was really focusing on test scores, what ended up happening is all these schools started putting all this time towards focusing on those test scores. And the overall education experience suffered because the emphasis was around test scores. That is an example of optimizing to a metric, even to the detriment of the desired expectation, right? So yes, expectations definitely play a strong role in this. And those expectations can often be expressed via metric. But part of it is also consistency, right? If as a manager, you know, if you're on my team and we meet, you know, in January and I say, okay, Scott, here's your expectations, you go. And then we don't talk about it again until next January. That in of itself is going to be a fail point because just as with Agile, right, the reason we do all these iterations, the reason why we do these stand-ups and, and, and releases, weekly releases to the customer and so forth is to get customer feedback. Feedback is every bit as critical to the whole performance management cycle as anything else. And so one of the things that I will frequently tell people is, look, you've got to be doing weekly one-on-ones with your directs. You've got to be meeting with them about their performance. You know, if, if you're doing annual reviews, you should probably be checking in with them specifically around performance once a quarter. But even so, all along the way, you should be giving your directs feedback to say, hey, love what you did there. Not so fond of what happened here. You know, let me help you do more of what I want. Let me give you coaching to avoid the things I don't. And really, in many respects, I think one of the myths, particularly because if you look at some of the books like Radical Candor and whatnot, where they say, hey, let me just tell you what I think. There's actually the Harvard Business Review, a couple of authors did a follow-up article where they actually studied, you know, some of the Radical Candor. And what they found is, yeah, radical candor doesn't work quite as well as we thought and doesn't work quite the way we thought. Yes, honest feedback is good, but in many respects, that feedback, you can't just say this was terrible and you can't just say uh, what you need to do is X because there's a certain amount of assumptions that you make when you do some of this. It's far better for you to come in and say, I really liked what you did here you know, let's encourage more of that. And this other area where it didn't go so well, yeah, we'll try again, right? Let's do something different next time. But you really want to accentuate the positive more than you point out the negative. And I think a lot of, particularly those coming from an engineering background where we're so accustomed to find the bug and squash it, right? By pointing out the negatives and how to fix that, you know, so 
it's this constant wheel of improvement rather than the annual, hey, you did great, you get a raise. Hey, you did terrible. We're putting you on a performance improvement plan. If all you're doing is having that performance conversation once a year, I don't care how good the coaching, I don't care how good the expectations, you're failing your team. Delivery makes all the difference. It reminds me of uh, some advice I once received about uh, how when you offer feedback on something, you, sh- you give it as a feedback sandwich where you do the positive and then give them the corrective and then end up with, with positive. So they remember that there's two positives in there, but then also a negative that helps them grow to help them you know, know that they can get a little bit better. Yeah. The drawback to the feedback sandwich is it tends to look like one of those Dagwood sandwiches. You know, when I say that, people may not know the the comic strip Blondie. Dagwood is the husband and he would build those sandwiches that stack like, you know, 10 feet high kind of thing, where it's mm-hmm. bread, meat, lettuce, meat, meat, lettuce, meat, lettuce, cheese, cheese, meat, lettuce, meat, lettuce, bread. And so you get a little bit of a positive, a little bit of a positive and a mountain of negative, right? Again. All that's really going to do is accentuate all the things that people are doing wrong. They go through a certain amount of statistical analysis that they did as part of the study for this article. In general, though, you get better results by saying these are the positive things and we want to do more of that. And yeah, if somebody really blows it, right? I mean, if, if, if they come to work one day not wearing any pants. Yeah, you have to have a conversation and say, yeah, can't do that. Just can't do that. But you get better results by showing them the things that they've done well and saying, do more of that because it's much more concrete. It's much more focused. And if they don't do something well, in some cases, just leave it be and see if it corrects on its own. Or if they're focusing on more of the positive stuff, they'll pick that up. This is somewhere where the art, you know, is is more prevalent than the science. It's hard to say definitively you should always, because people, not surprisingly, are non-deterministic creatures. And even what works well for one person one year may not work well for that same person in a different year or on a different day, right? That's, that's one of the hardest parts about performance management in some respects is I have to look at what just happened and... I have to do a certain amount of of gut check because the easy thing would be to say, oh, yeah, Scott's just screwing up again. No, there may be other things going on here. Scott didn't quite understand what I wanted. Scott didn't have all the tools. Scott was afraid to ask for help. Uh, Scott may be having some, some difficulties with his family. Maybe there's somebody that, you know, he didn't put as much time into this project as I would have liked because it turns out that Scott's already overwhelmed and doesn't want to say I've got too much on my plate. There's a lot of different reasons for that. So you have to be a little bit of a detective to kind of probe around the edges and figure it out. Or you hopefully build a relationship with your employee to the point where they can come to you and say, dude, I I don't understand what you want. I just got too much, whatever it is. You know what I mean? So really the, the the accentuate the positive helps create that better relationship, creates that psychological safety. But in many cases, it will also, people will gravitate towards the things they know they're doing well. And in that sense, you know, you'll usually get better success out of it. The hard part, Ted, is how you say that it it all depends, basically, is it was essentially the crux of what you were saying there. But you can even see this in software, how we as humans, we want frameworks. We want some channeled or organized or defined way 
to do something and just tell us how to do it. So it, that sounds like performance management, it's, it's not a cut and dry sort of science is what you're saying. It's really not. But the fun thing about your analogy, Scott, is we as humans want frameworks, yes. But then what's the first thing that happens? The framework made in a decision, right? Now we talk about opinionated frameworks and how do I make a different decision than what the framework made, right? I mean, there, there are a lot of parallels between software and management. And the concept of a framework is certainly one of them because there are a number of, of frameworks out there in, in the business world. There are some tools that are out there to try to help you with some of this stuff, right? OKR, Objectives and Key Results, KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. There are some other things from previous, you know, there, there was one concept that was really popular in the 90s at a more strategic level called the Balanced Scorecard where, you know, four questions coming from different directions to help get a more well-rounded perspective. 360 reviews were popular for a while. You know, Microsoft didn't invent stack ranking. That was a popular thing for a while. And the thing of it is that many of these, if you don't understand that they're just tools, right? As with any software platform or framework, at a certain point, you need to know how to drill below the level of the framework. You need to know how to drill below the level of the language to understand what's going on below there in order to be able to use it most effectively, right? There are times when the right thing to do is just poke at the DOM as opposed to letting Angular take care of stuff for you or write a native function in Java or you just can't get around it or you could, but it would cause so much more churn and, and you'd be creating so much more work than you absolutely need to. Frameworks can help, but at the end of the day, these are human beings, and the more you sort of ingest that, the more you'll be able to discard a framework in terms of something that works better or recognize when the framework isn't working. All right. Honestly, as you were describing that, described, I think, every software engineer's experience with a framework. It's amazing for doing exactly what the framework was built for, but the moment you're stepping out yep. of what it was intended to do... That's 80% of your time right there is trying to figure out how to get that to work. Yeah, yeah. This is where, from a performance management perspective, it's helpful to, I mean, having those written expectations creates kind of a common playing field, but subject to privacy concerns, because you always have to have that, there's nothing wrong with going to other peer managers and saying, what do you think, Right. Frequently, the teams that I was leading at, at Rocket were interacting with other teams across the rest of the company. And it was not uncommon come review time for me to go to those those managers and say, hey, would you mind give me some written feedback on this individual or, or the team as a whole, right? What do you think? Because that perspective can be helpful. And in some cases, they may see things that you're not because they have different experience or they're seeing a different version of the person that you're seeing, you know, because like it or not, we do behave a little differently around people that have authority over us. You know, um, that's part of the reason why managers are frequently exhorted to not venture their opinion. If they are the highest ranking person in the room, right? It's fascinating because I can usually now, when I walk into a room full of strangers, I can usually spot who is the highest ranking person in the room because they're the last person to speak on any particular issue. And that's the ideal is for them to be the last one. But if somebody says something and they're the big boss, 
either what everybody else says will agree with the big boss or the big boss will say something and everyone will say, okay, cool. Well, we're done here, right? They have the authority there. That's, that's what we're going to do. You are far likelier to laugh at your boss's jokes than you would if they weren't your boss. Getting a perspective from people who are managers, who are not the direct manager, they're not you. So they will see a different view, a different perspective of the people on your team. So yeah, go talk to them and say, hey, I've got an issue here. Can you help me? Right? Can you give me some insight? Give me some thoughts. The other group that can actually be kind of helpful, and this is going to sound really strange, the HR team. Believe it or not, the HR folks are not the, you know, they're not the bad boys that are always, you know, hauling you up in front of, of you know, when you do something wrong. HR is its own science, uh, every, every bit as much as software is. And in many cases, they will have some ideas. They will have, they'll know certainly company policies better than you will. And they may have some suggestions. They may have some options. They'll have a lot of different things that can, can help in scenarios with both performance correction and with performance um, reward, right? You know, oh yeah, we've got some options. You could do this, that, the company sponsors these things. Really? I didn't know we did that. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing. Getting other people involved to help you with some of this stuff can be really, really useful. Sound advice. Sound advice there, Ted. So there's a few recurring questions that we like to always ask folks. What is one thing you wish you would have known sooner when it comes to uh, performance management? The answer that first comes to mind is how to better recognize some of the signs of certain things, right? People that are asking for help in ways that that aren't necessarily words. Certainly some of the stuff around the radical candor, how to give feedback such that you're encouraging people to do the things you want rather than discouraging them to do the things you don't. Those come to mind. I think part of one, of, I think one of the things that didn't really crystallize for me until really recently is that when you get to be the boss, you often want to be, you know, you want to be the good boss, right? You want to be the one that, that everybody enjoys working for and would work for again. And part of that means holding people accountable, right? In some cases, that means saying the uncomfortable thing, saying the thing that says, hey, I thought we were going to be done with this by now. What's going on? right? You know, why is this taking so long? Let's drill in deeper. You know, is it a case that we just estimated poorly? Was it a case that we had unforeseen obstacles appear? Do you not have skills that you, or not have enough skills around this particular area? What What is really going on? This was the expectation and you're not meeting that expectation. We need to fix that, right? This is not, you're now on path to be fired. But the sooner you actually hold people to some of those expectations, the sooner you'll actually either reclassify the expectation or uh, identify an issue before it becomes an issue, right? That's, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm still learning to this day is, is where exactly to put that dial. And I think I've been too lenient in the past and I need to dial it up a little bit more to be, you know, hey, this is what we need to do and this is where I expected us to be and go from there. Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything about performance management you're glad I did not ask you about? <laughs> so many things. <laughs> so, so, so many things. The perf management space, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 one, the one question is, you know, really, you know, how do I fire somebody? 
that's often a question that comes up, right? And the short answer is not easily, right? Personally, I believe that if you ever grow too comfortable with firing people, you've lost a certain sense of humanity. You've lost a certain sense of compassion. And I do believe as the boss, you need to have that compassion. You need to recognize that these are people, et cetera. But it's never easy. It's it's never an easy thing to do. And there is no, you know, there is no mental trick. There is no phrase. There is no anything that makes it easy. My usual response is, you know, you fire somebody by picking up the phone, calling your HR partners and saying, I have a problem. And hopefully you've done this long before you've had the problem because they will immediately want you to start doing the things, you know, to uh, help avoid any sort of legal liability if you do it the wrong way. Right. But that's probably the one thing that I think a lot of performance management stuff tries to avoid talking about these days. Because I think that's the question that frequently gets asked is, you know, how, how do you fire somebody? How do you do it badly every time badly? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I've not been in the situation where I've had to fire anyone. And so that's uh, that would I can't imagine what that would be like. It sucks. It hurts. And even in situations where, you know, I mean, the person you're firing saw it coming, knows it's coming, doesn't have a big, a big deal with it, et cetera. It's still I mean, it's failure right? For all intents and purposes, it's failure. And I take that failure personally, because like I said, I feel that I am partly responsible for every individual that I have to fire because I was responsible for their performance, right? You know, either I didn't enforce it or I didn't give them the tools or something, right? It's not completely my fault, but it's partly my fault. Yeah. It's a heavy responsibility being in, being in management, being in leadership. That's why they give you the big bucks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Ted, we appreciate you coming on the show today, especially uh, weathering the after effects of your dental uh, surgery. Oh, so I'm thank right, you right, for joining and sharing your wisdom with us. <laughs> Thanks for having me and uh, tolerating my drug-induced haze. No, I think there was plenty of, of good nuggets and wisdom in there. And thank you all for listening to this episode today of uh, Page It to the Limit. And I'm Scott McAllister, and I'm wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes on pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. Hey!